Hi, my name is Jonathan Labelle. I'm the church planter of Lestie Laval, and I really want to thank you, Milton Baptist Church, for all your prayer, all your support, everything that you are doing for uh, supporting Laval Church. It's really appreciated. Thank you. I'm planting a church in Laval because Laval is the third largest city in Quebec. It's the biggest suburb and it's the city who have the least number of church per habitant. My dream for Laval is to see Jesus transforming the whole city. So the, the, the dream is big, but it's really focused. We want to see Jesus transforming the whole city, but one person at a time. I really have a heart, uh, a burden to pass the, the gospel through to the next generation. Uh, we, I, I really want to see the gospel penetrate the heart of the uh, youngers, uh, young, youngest people. My nightmare is to think that we can lose the gospel in the province in the next few years, and that would be horrible. So we really want to focus on the next generation, seeing uh, older people investing in, in, uh, in younger people and seeing younger people investing in, in kids. The other day, my daughter came uh, to see me and she told me, Dad, we, we need to make something uh, for the kids who are gonna visit us. So we want to have a welcome booth, the junior welcome booth, and we're gonna uh, buy some gifts gift for kids and we want to welcome them. So that's what I want to see even, some 10 years old kids investing in other kids. So uh, yeah, our dream is to see uh, the gospel uh, penetrate the heart of the younger generation uh, in the North Shore, specifically in Laval. During the pandemic, uh, one thing that we, uh, uh, we did is uh, every Tuesday night, we had a prayer meeting uh, with, uh, on Zoom with all the, the group of, uh, of Laval. And um, one young woman called Vanessa invite one of her friends. Uh, her name is uh, Sylvie. And it's very interesting because uh, Vanessa was bring to the Lord a couple months ago through a couple of leaders with us in Laval, Mario and Veronica. Uh, so uh, Vanessa came to the Lord. Uh, she she's learning. Uh, she she she's hunger for God. She talked to me and talked to others people. She really want to grow, and she started to talk about Jesus to her friends. So Sylvie went on the Zoom meeting. That was some bit awkward because you know normally on our Zoom meeting is just people that we know. But there, this woman that night, Sylvie is there, uh, and she's praying with us. She's going through a difficult time. And a couple of weeks after that, Sylvie, uh, her apartment uh, was burned she lost everything so uh, we uh, bring a lot of stuff to a, a lot of furniture for her and a leader from the group uh, rent a truck and uh, he goes to take all these furniture and they help uh, Sylvie uh, uh, to move uh, all this new furniture in our new apartment and since that time Sylvie is coming to our prayer uh, meeting uh, our, our meeting and she's now in the journey of the faith with us so uh, yeah, all those meetings we did online had a really big impact on the community. Two things I realized when we start to being online, a lot of churches were doing stuff for Christian uh, and for people in the church and nothing for the woman specifically. So my wife really wanted to do some Bible study for women. So she started to do a, a Bible study on the book of Ruth. And that night when we put the video online, one of my friends uh, who I grew up with in the church, uh, she, sat, she was online, she saw the countdown, she said, why not? I'm gonna watch that video. And she saw that video that my wife, that Bible study that my wife was doing. Uh, she wrote to my wife, she was so touched by what she saw on the video, what she heard about Jesus. I text her until like one in the morning. She told me I want a Bible, Jonathan. I don't want to lose that. You know, what's happening right now? I don't know what's happening, but I just, I just cried, I don't know why I can't stop crying. So we really adapt, adjust. And the other thing I, I, I saw is that a lot of churches was doing devotional for Christian, but not a lot of uh, 
video for non-Christian, so I decided to start uh, Christianity for Dummies every Thursday night at 7 or at 8. I, and a lot of people who are non-believers, Christian or young Christian in their faith was watching those videos and I just explained the really the foundation of Christianity, what, who is Jesus, uh, what is uh, you know the, the faith and, uh, and uh, I look forward to start those videos back because I had a, a good number of people who were uh, watching them. So right now we're looking for two new uh, partnerships uh, with the amount of $10,000 to help us to reach our financial goal to uh, plant these churches. Uh, we're not just looking for uh, partners who can give money, but we are really looking for partnership to build a relationship with uh, our partners, uh, welcome them, invite them to join us in the mission and visit them. And uh, now our partners are not only uh, financial partners, but uh, they're friends. So we're looking for two near, new churches who want to in, invest and develop those relationships and those uh, partnerships with us. Well, good morning, Milton Bible Church, and welcome to NBC Online. It's great to be together, worshiping God today, hearing from His Word. I don't know if, uh, I'm sure you enjoyed that a little update from Jonathan LaBelle in that video that was presented, but just a couple things I want to mention. First of all, uh, he addressed us as Milton Baptist Church. Uh, he knows now that uh, he actually last October visited Milton Bible Church. So it was just a slip of the French tongue that uh, he got a little mixed up there. And so uh, keep that in mind. He was talking to this church that he knows so well. Uh, the other thing is we are one of his supporting churches and we are one of his partner churches. So the appeal that he made at the end of the video to uh, jump in and be a part, uh, that really was for other churches and uh, because we already are a part and we already are working with him in his church plant in Laval. So very exciting days. He and I are in touch quite often and uh, really looking forward to hearing more from him and even having him here uh, at our building at, in Milton uh, visiting very soon. I know he really wants to come back again. At any rate, uh, we are in a series called Seeing Jesus Clearly. This is our third week in the series next week. Pastor Jordan Harnum is going to speak and continue uh, in our series from Mark chapter 9 and really excited about uh, looking forward to hearing what God puts on our heart on his heart as we continue this study together uh, seeing Jesus clearly one of the times in my life where I did not see clearly was a few years ago when I was in a boat crossing Lake Ontario my brother-in-law and I had crossed over from Bronte Harbor over to 50 Point. Not a long distance on a boat, but it was a sailboat. They don't move too fast. And we enjoyed lunch over there. And our way back, uh, the fog just rolled in um, like a curtain. And it was an absolutely amazing experience to see that come. The only problem with it was... When we went to leave to come back to go to Oakville again to return, the fog was so thick that we couldn't see 15 feet in front of us. I mean, it was incredibly dense with very low visibility. One of the, uh, another boat we had come over with and we had had some lunch together, they were making their way back as well. And we just said, hey, listen, we will follow you. You've got better uh, radar equipment and things like that. We'll just follow you. And within three minutes, we had completely lost sight and we could not see them anywhere. To complicate things further, we knew that there was a, a Great Lakes freighter on the lake that was going to come directly across our path. We didn't know where it was. We didn't know at what point it would come across our path. But you can imagine that us in our little wee sailboat, them in a Great Lakes freighter that could crush us with uh, just, with, with just it, 
just by going by them in, in their wake, um, it was kind of terrifying. And we just, with eyes peeled and ears tuned, crossed that lake not being able to see a thing. And one of the wonderful things was we had a, a nautical GPS. And that nautical GPS we plugged in Bronte Harbor and we followed that little instrument which was no bigger than an, uh, a, a cell phone. And we just followed the little arrow on that. We couldn't see anything, we could barely hear anything because of the motor that was on our boat. And Ripley's, believe it or not, we ended up coming into Bronte Harbor. The sky cleared as we grew, uh, as we uh, got near to the shore. And we ended up exactly right in the middle of the mouth of the river coming into the harbor. It was spectacular. And I honestly learned to trust a GPS so much more than I ever had before. Well, what is our GPS? in the Christian life? What is the one thing that we know that is going to be true, that is going to guide us and bring us safely home? Whether it's relationally, whether it's spiritually, whether it's socially, whether it's economically, whether, it is, uh, uh, whether it's something that gives us peace of mind and peace of heart, there's only one thing that I know, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in our hearts today and in this series, what we want to do is we want to see Jesus more clearly. We want to see him like we've never seen him before. And Jesus invites us to do that. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Mark chapter 9 in the Bible. Mark chapter 9. And what we're going to look at is the idea that seeing Jesus clearly transforms our lives. And I do want to bring just a bit of review to help us to understand kind of where things are at in this passage that we study. And it can basically be uh, reviewed in three questions. The first question is, what do you see? The second question is, who do you say that I am? And the third question really is an invitation. Come and see the kingdom of God. Now, the first question, of course, was asked by Jesus to a blind man. And it was a, a very unusual miracle. We, lo- we looked at it two weeks ago. But it was a miracle of a blind man who was actually healed in two stages. Jesus goes into a town called Bethsaida with his disciples, gets, takes a blind man, leads him outside of the village, and uh, there spits in his eye, touches him, then asks him the question, what do you see? The man says simply, I see people like trees walking. In other words, what he's saying is, I see people, but I don't really see clearly. And what Jesus does, he uses this healing as a parable for the lives of the disciples who do not yet understand who Jesus is or what he is about. They don't actually see him clearly. So what Jesus does is he touches the man again. He touches the man again, and the man is completely healed. He can see. His sight is fully restored. And what Jesus says to them is basically, his life is a parable for your lives. His blindness is a parable representing your blindness. Because you don't see me clearly. You don't see me as the Son of God, who will take away the sin of the world as the Lord of life, the Lord of glory. And as they leave that place and they're walking along, Jesus asks them a second question. And he asks them the question, you know, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and he says, you are the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the one who would free them from Roman oppression in Peter's mind, sit on the throne of David, restore greatness and freedom to Israel, give them freedom from the Gentiles, freedom from Roman oppression, freedom to follow the law and the Torah and to worship God as they desired. But Jesus begins to say, listen, It's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. Because what is going to happen is I am going to be rejected by the scribes and the Pharisees. I am going to die, 
be raised up three days later, and, and it is in the resurrection that you will begin to understand who I am and what I'm about. And Peter rebukes him and says, no, Lord, that is not even remotely in the cards. In fact, you're going to wreck everything if you keep talking that way. And of course, Jesus rebukes him and says, you know, get behind me, Satan, because the words you're saying, Peter, really are more from the realm of the demonic than they are from the plan of God. And he go, and Jesus goes on to talk to them about how they must lose their life in order to gain it, how they must give up everything in order to gain everything, that they must take up their cross and follow him, not just watch him go to the cross, but they have crosses that they have to pick up and they have to bear. And in order to fully live, they must die. And this is just completely confusing. And they just don't understand and they don't see Jesus clearly. And so Jesus is continuing to reveal himself to them. And in this passage of scripture, what we're going to see is Jesus saying to them, come and see. Come and see a demonstration of the kingdom of God. That's what it says in Mark chapter 1. So turn your Bibles, Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And let me read that to you. Come and see. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now some people feel that that is fulfilled later on when it, uh, when, when the, on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God comes in power. Or perhaps later on when Jesus continues to heal people, speak with the authority of the Father and perform um, miracles and, and demonstrate the kingdom. But what I think is what Jesus does exactly next is what he was talking about. And what Jesus does next is he invites them up to the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is transformed before their very eyes and they get to see him more clearly. So I'm going to read that because seeing Jesus clearly brings life transformation. In Mark chapter 9, this is the passage we're going to study, verses 2 to 8. It says, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus alone. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. This morning, what we're going to see is three ways that Jesus is revealed more clearly. Three ways that Jesus is revealed more clearly through this experience on the mountain. And the first is this, that the transfiguration reveals who Jesus is. The first way we see more clearly is through the transfiguration itself. And it says this in verse 2 of Mark chapter 9, after six days, after six days. Now this, interestingly, is the most precise uh, words used to measure time in the entire gospel of Mark. So in other, in other words, what Mark is trying to do is he's trying to tell us and trying to say to us, I want you to understand this was a historical event that, that happened. In fact, um, after Jesus talked to us about the cost of discipleship, you know, in order to live, we must first die. In order to uh, gain eternal life, we must first lose our life. Um, <clears throat> when he taught us that exactly six days later, something else happened. And it points to the historicity of the eyewitness account from the Gospel of Mark. 
In fact, we see this account of the transfiguration in all of the Gospels but John. And John intentionally uh, did not seek to repeat what had already been recorded three times already. In fact, he had, had something else he wanted to reveal about Jesus and uh, about him being the savior of the world. That's why we call the Gospel of John uh, uh, written by St. John the Evangelist because he's calling all people to faith. But he takes with him Peter, James, and John. Peter and the sons of Zebedee. And so what we see in Mark chapters 8 and 9, we see Jesus who reveals this much to the crowd, this much of himself to the 12, and then this much of himself to the three. And he has the three, the inner circle, that he invites into specific experiences so that they would see him more clearly and that they would know him in such a way that that, uh, that they could say certain things about him and lead in a certain way and just and be eyewitnesses account to who he was. He led them up a mountain, up a high mountain, Mark says. In other words, suggesting it was a very steep climb for the four of them. So the four of them labored up to the top of this mountain. And it was a high mountain, not just an ordinary mountain. And we don't know exactly which mountain it is. Some say Mount Horeb. Some say, you know, another set of mountains. But um, we're not exactly sure. But we do know this. The Bible says that he was transfigured before them. And the word transfigured is the, where, the word we get, where we get the word metamorphosed or, or metamorphosis. And it means to be changed into another form. So what it denotes it denotes a visible change of an outward form that reveals an inward nature. And also the verb is in a passive voice, meaning it was not Jesus that transformed himself, but it was the Father that transformed the Son in such a way that it would demonstrate who he truly is to these three men. And then the description that Mark gives us is this. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Now Matthew and Luke write in their Gospels that everything about Jesus was radiant and brilliant. Jesus' clothes shone. Jesus' face shone. Jesus' skin shone. Jesus' hair shone. And it was as if a bright light just emerged from his body in such a way that it was blinding and even terrifying. That's what they communicate. And Mark says it in a kind of homey way. He says that they were so white that you couldn't bleach them that white. I mean, he's like, you know, my mama couldn't even get them that white. They were so white. But the, the, the thing that he's trying to communicate, that it was a blinding light, a blinding light. And it is here, it is here in the transfiguration that we have the greatest confirmation of Jesus' deity yet so far in his life. And here more than on any other occasion, Jesus reveals himself as the Son of God in his full glory. You know, I had a, um, many years ago, uh, there was one night I'll, I'll never forget and it was the wedding night of my good friend uh, Gord and uh, Gord Jackson and his wife Liz. They got married that day, and it was up north. And and Liz's uh, family, you know, our his parents were, were uh, her parents were farmers, and you know how farmers are—they do everything themselves. So Liz's mom baked all the desserts. She baked all the pies, all the cakes, all the cookies. You know, everything for the wedding. You know, she had baked all of that stuff herself. Other food that had been brought in, but <clears throat> it was actually a spectacular feast. And afterwards, being in the wedding party, you are you have these tasks. What happens is you. Uh, help clean up and you help put things together and you and we we all loaded up our cars and we went back to Liz's parents farmhouse 
and we dropped everything off. And I will never forget after dropping everything off after the wedding, it might have been, you know, two in the morning or whatever, walking out into that farmyard where there was no outdoor lights, just sky. And it was the most brilliant, starlit sky I have ever seen in my life. It was almost as if you could reach up and grab the stars. It was uh, just a, a demonstration, you know, of the manifestation of the glory of God. The heavens declare his glory. And I will tell you, on that night, it certainly did. But you know, one thing I've never seen is I've never seen a person shine. I've never seen a person shine in such a way that they are emanating radiant light coming out of their face, coming out of their hair, coming out of their clothes, coming out of their sandals, coming out of, you know, the what they wore and, and, and every part of their skin. I have never seen a human being light up in such a way that it was blinding. This was the glory of God being made manifest in such a way to Peter, James, and John so that they could see Jesus clearly and understand that he was God. And let me ask you this morning as we look at these verses, let me ask you, do you need a fresh revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you need a new picture of him in your life? Do you need to see him in his glory, in his beauty, in his majesty, in such a way that you have never seen him before. One of the psalms that I love is Psalm 24. And it says this, and of course they've made a song to it. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So lift up your heads, O ye gates. You see, what the psalmist is trying to say is that, listen, the king of glory cannot come in if the gate isn't big enough for him to enter. And for some of us, as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is in our lives, we don't have a big enough view of him. And the psalmist is saying, lift up your heads, O you gates. You know, throw open wide, O ancient doors, so that the king of glory may come in. Your vision of him is too small. You need to see him in who he truly is, his radiance and magnificence and beauty. One of the women in our church, before she was a Christian, she knew some other Christians and was trying to take advantage of their good nature in order to um, gain some things, some personal things in her life which were important to her. And so she would go along with them to this or to that. And uh, in fact, she would lie to them regularly saying, you know, I want to know about this Jesus. I want to know about this belief system that you have. I want to know about, you know, what, you know about Christianity. So tell me more, share with me more, show me more. And I'll never forget, she said one day while I was having one of those conversations with a fellow that I worked with, I was lying to him saying, I want to know more about Jesus because I was actually trying to get something else. And she said, and while I was talking to him and lying to him and deceiving him intentionally, she said, Jesus, I, there was a vision of Jesus. I saw Jesus right behind him. And Jesus looked at me with just the greatest love and compassion that I have ever felt in my life. At the same time, I knew that he knew that I was lying. And so I felt great shame, great shame 
because I was lying about wanting to know about the risen Christ that was standing right behind him. I knew he loved me, and I knew what I was doing was horribly wrong. And she said, it wasn't long after that that I bent the knee and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And seeing Jesus clearly transformed her life. Now, not all of us are going to have a vision or necessarily going to see Jesus uh, lighting up, you know, in a spectacular, physical, manifest way. But I truly believe that if you have a desire to know Christ as Savior and know him more dearly, that if you pray the prayer, you know, Lord, reveal yourself to me. I believe with all my heart he will. If your heart's desire is to see more of him and to know more of him and to, to get a greater revelation of who he is through his word, through prayer, through intimacy with him, and even through spectacular, miraculous ways, I believe the King of Glory will show himself to you in whatever way it is best for you. You see, seeing Jesus clearly transformed her life. The transfiguration of Jesus revealed who Jesus was. Next, we see the testimony of the saints reveals Jesus. In verse 4, it says this. It says, and there appeared to them, that is the the three, uh, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now it says Elijah and Moses appeared with them. Many commentators state that Elijah and Moses represent, Elijah represents the prophets, Moses represents the law. So these two that represent The law and the prophets appear supernaturally with Jesus. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. And it's saying that Elijah appeared with Moses, uh, giving Elijah really prominence of place. In other words, Elijah appeared and Moses came with him. So Elijah is mentioned first and Moses along with him. And there's a reason for that. But the question really is why Elijah and Moses? Well, Elijah, for God's people, is one of the great superheroes of the faith. He is the defender of God's word. He is like the, the, the battleship of, of the Old Testament, fighting against or extraordinary odds in the days of great danger where life and death was on the line. You see, Elijah represented all that was great <clears throat> in God's prophetic calling and ministry. And one of the highlights of Elijah's uh, life and and ministry really was on the day where he faced off against the prophets of Baal. And he faced off against the prophets of Baal in such a way that uh, there was a a showdown between Elijah, single prophet, prophet of God, versus 400 prophets of Baal. And at that time in Israel, the, the king Ahab had been seduced by his wife Jezebel, who had led him away from following God to following a false deity, a false god, Baal. And so Elijah said, you know what, enough of this. Let's have a showdown. Me against the 400 prophets. And some of you, you know the story. And what happened was they, they said, let's build two altars. Let's pile them high with wood. And you, you call on Baal to consume uh, the sacrifice that is on the altar. I will call on God to consume the sacrifice that is on this altar. So I'll tell you what, <clears throat> you go first. We'll take as long as you want. And this is what he said. And these are unforgettable words in the Jewish mindset. He says this, if Yahweh is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, follow him. Fair enough. Prophets of Baal, 
400 prophets get up. They call upon Baal. They spend the entire day praying and chanting and singing. And by the afternoon, they are losing steam. They are discouraged. They are basically done. And then Elijah gets up and he says, before we call on the fire of God to consume this uh, sacrifice, I want you to go get a bucket of water and I want you to pour water all over it. Not only did he pour one, two, three, four, several uh, big urns of water all over this wood, saturates this wood. And then he gets up and he says with this prayer, Hear me, Yahweh, that this people may know that you, Yahweh, are God. And the fire comes down from heaven and the sacrifice is consumed. And the prophets of Baal are destroyed. And the people begin to chant, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Elijah is one of the superheroes of the faith. He is the, uh, this great prophet from the Old Testament that really has a big uh, <clears throat> Superman status on his chest. And so he represents, in the Mount of Transfiguration, the prophets of the Old Testament who spoke, thus saith the Lord. But also up there was Moses. Moses representing the law. Moses, born a Hebrew slave, adopted by Pharaoh's sister, raised as a prince of Egypt. He grew to manhood, and, and then, as a man, he made a decision for God. And he chose to identify with God's people rather than enjoy the pleasures of the flesh for a season. And through God's power, Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt from bondage and slavery into freedom, two million strong. And many say this is the greatest leadership act of all time by any human being, taking a people who are enslaved and impoverished and pressed down, oppressed, and bringing them into a new life and a new uh, relationship with God in the promised land. And while on journey, Moses received the Ten Commandments, God's word guiding the love relationship that God would have with the Jewish people and the word of God that would point to the living word, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it was Moses that spoke to God face to face as to a friend. And when Moses came down from the mountain from speaking with God or spending time with God, the scripture says that his face shone so brightly that the people feared the glory of God upon Moses' face and they asked him to put a veil upon his face because they could not stand to look at it. These are the two representing the law and the prophets that came and spoke to Jesus. And what were they talking about? In Luke chapter 9, Luke tells us, it tells us, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke, what, of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And in the Greek, the word departure there is literally the word exodus. The word exodus And what they were talking about was they were talking about the cross. They were talking about the death. They were talking about what Jesus Christ would do in dying on the cross to save mankind, to bear mankind's sin so that that we might have a way to the Father through the Son. And by having faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that, that opens the way for us to know the Father. By the shed blood of the Son, we have forgiveness of sins. And it's through faith in what Jesus has done and placing our belief in him that we are brought into relationship with the Father through the Son. And, uh, and that's what they were talking about. Then Peter speaks up 
In verses 5 and 6, it says, And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, for one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. So Peter, he's witnessing this. He sees what's happening. He, he hears this conversation. And, and then he, he, you probably know people. And maybe some of us have been that people. We don't know what to say, but we feel someone needs to say something, so they say it anyway, and it's totally the wrong thing to say. I mean, how many times has that happened? You know, as we often say, you know, around here, you know, open your mouth just to exchange feet. And, uh, and that is Peter. He's like, man, this is awkward. Man, I got to say something. Man, I'm the guy who usually says it. And you know what? And sometimes Peter even gets it right. Because it was like in Mark chapter 8 where P Jesus says, and who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you, you are the Christ. And he's like, yep, you got it, dude. But you just don't get it, but you got it. And so let me help you to understand it. And, so, and that's what Peter does. So what do the commentators say? We don't really know what Peter was talking about. Three tents, I don't know, so they could stay longer, or they could set up a tourist uh, booth, or, or they could, you know, kind of just, maybe he was trying to give them honor, I'm not sure. Nobody really knows. What they do know is that he was just kind of talking and not really making any sense. He just started babbling because he didn't really know what to say. And I remember the days when I was wrestling with faith before I had become a Christian. And I was trying to understand who this Jesus was and what he was about and why anyone would place their faith in him. And I remember talking to a friend of mine and saying to him, you know, listen, I don't understand why you believe in God. And so he would explain to me about who Jesus is and what he did and how, you know, I need to receive him as Savior and I would throw another thing back at him, you know, because he, he would tell me things like, you know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, and so you need to receive him as Savior. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what is going on. Listen, that is a fable. That is a myth. That is just something for mind control and manipulation, and, you know, I threw all the usual garbage at him. And uh, finally, I said to him one day, I said, Tim, how can you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior? And I'll never forget these words he said to me. He said, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And he walked away. And that just resounded in my soul for days. And that was, that was over 40 years ago. And I still remember that moment where the testimony of the saints revealed Jesus Christ to me in a way that I only began to understand. And it eventually led to my conversion. Listen, never underestimate the testimony of the saints. The testimony of the saints. Whether it's Elijah, the superhero of the faith, or Moses, the one who spent time with God face to face, or whether you're someone in high school, right, who's, someone else has just got a locker down from yours and you've just been talking to them about Christ. Never underestimate the power of the testimony of the saints to reveal Jesus so that we others might see him clearly. That's the second way Jesus is revealed. And the third way is this, through the affirmation of the Father. In verse seven and eight, it says, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. It says that a cloud first overshadowed them, and we know this is the Shekinah cloud of glory, which signified the presence of God. And it was a cloud that would have filled up the space. It would have filled up the space so that they could not see uh, two feet in front of them. 
they would have been completely overwhelmed by this presence of God, this Shekinah cloud that revealed the glory of God and said God was in the house. This happened over and over in the Old Testament. We know that, that a pillar of fire led the people of Israel by night and a, and a pillar of cloud by day, the Shekinah cloud of glory. And oftentimes, the Shekinah cloud of glory would fill up the tabernacle of Moses and, and reveal the presence of God. And so these guys were terrified. They knew the presence of God had come. Can you imagine? One day, one minute you're seeing the person in front of you very clearly. The next minute you can't see a thing because there's cloud everywhere. They fell silent and they were terrified. And in the presence of God, they heard his voice. And this is what he said. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You know, this is my beloved son. The very same thing that was said at the baptism of Jesus. But instead of saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, the father makes a different statement. He says this, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus is now the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and he is now declared by the Father to be God's spokesperson on earth. Jesus fulfills the role of Elijah and Moses, and now he speaks for the Father himself. And that's what is revealed to the three. They now begin are starting to begin to see him as deity revealed as God in flesh. And then there's the last part of this verse, and this is fantastic. I love it. It says, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. All of a sudden, the fog goes. Elijah and Moses are gone. The presence of the Father is, uh, has been, you know, rescinded or withdrawn. And all they see is Jesus. And the way Mark writes it, the way the, it, the language is constructed, it's all that was with the three of them, all that was left to them was to be with Jesus. And Jesus to be with them. And Mark declares, listen, <laughs> the presence of God has remained to be with the disciples. And the emphasis is on Jesus being with them. The Lord of glory, the King of kings, the one who was transfigured, the one who shone as bright, brighter than any night that has ever been seen. The one who has ha, the, the superheroes of the faith, the testimony of the saints has borne witness. And then lastly, the affirmation of the Father himself has borne witness to who Jesus is. And they're beginning to catch a glimpse of him. They're beginning to understand <coughs> that Jesus is deity they're beginning to understand who he is, who he is. So let me ask you as we kind of wrap this up, when it comes to Jesus, what do you see? When it comes to Jesus, what do you hear? You know, lately people have been talking about COVID fatigue. And at the University of Los Angeles at UCLA, they've just done a major study, and they're basically saying that COVID fatigue is real. It is a problem. It is an issue. People are tired. They are exhausted. They are sick of hearing, wash your hands, wear a mask, stay six feet apart, and COVID fatigue is setting in so that people are now slipping. They're stopping washing their hands. They don't want to wear a mask anymore. And they don't want to be, you know, standing six feet apart from people that they want to be with. And as a result, what has happened is 
there's been a rise in Canada and the U.S. of COVID-19 cases. And my question for you is this. If you are a person that knows Jesus Christ, sometimes as we go through life, living this life that is to be lived in Christ, sometimes we can begin to take it for granted. We can, be, we can begin to let things slip. We can begin to not be as sharp as we could be. And so we begin to, you know, neglect our reading, our worship, our prayer, our fellowship, our serving of one another, and even loving our neighbors, let alone our enemies. And the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> in this time of COVID, abnormal is now normal. And so let me just ask you, do you need a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit to encourage you and to renew you? Do you need to see Jesus afresh? Or perhaps, you know, you're listening and you're wrestling with doubt and you're saying to yourself, do I really believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior? Do I really believe that he is the Son of God? Do I really believe that he's taken away my sin? And do I really need to receive him as my Savior? And let me just encourage you because the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so let me encourage you just to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to reveal himself to you. Call upon him and just say, Lord, if you are God, then just like Elijah said, I will follow you. But I'm calling on you. I'm calling on you with a sincere heart to say, reveal yourself to me. Show me. I want to see you more clearly. And I believe with all my heart that God will honor that. He will. God will honor that call, that cry of your heart to see him more clearly and to know him. And so I would encourage you to do that this day. May we all see Jesus more clearly. May we exalt him as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. God bless you. Have a great week. And uh, stay safe.